You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Is one of the great star turns on Broadway enough reason to watch the movie adaptation? Perhaps more importantly, is it enough reason to adapt the musical in the first place? In the case of Bells Are Ringing and Judy Holiday, the answer is yes. But the movie itself. Can a plot involving bookies, classical music, a boozy playwright playboy, a spoof of method actors, and an answering service stand the test of time? Did it even stand the test of time when it was released? The same year as the premiere of Psycho? Has Bells Are Ringing always been a fuzzy nostalgia piece, even when the era for which it's nostalgic was still happening? And just how good could Judy Holiday really be? I'm Mark Pikert. I do a little modeling on the side. And this is Movie Musical Madness, For Whom the Bells Ring. We have a real treat for you today, guys. I dusted off my Ouija board, and Judy Holiday herself is joining us. Well, hello. What a pleasure to be with you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, that was a joke lie. Judy Holiday herself is not here. I did the next best thing, which is Andrea Burns. Hello, Mark. How are you? Oh, I, I was just about to go on about newfangled, what's a podcast? You know, you could just go on forever. <laughs> so that's what I always wanted to know when we're already off track and I love it. But I have, <laughs> this needs to be addressed. This needs to be addressed as often as possible. Remember when Lincoln came out and Daniel Day-Lewis and Sally Field gave interview after interview where they were like, oh, we only spoke in character. We texted in character. What the hell was Abraham Lincoln texting in character to Mary Todd Lincoln? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Oh, mother, I, craft services is delicious today. Did exactly. you have the Chipotle? Do I have to wear the hat again, mom? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Bizarre. I, you know, I admire it, but, um, yeah, that, that kind of stuff always escapes me. I, I, I just it's, couldn't get away with that. <laughs> no, I couldn't let myself get away with that. I, I mean, I feel like you and I are very simpatico in so many ways and I constantly Great. have, I, I'm watching myself constantly at some remove, and I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing? Who are you trying to fool? You are not that fancy. I know, but you know, I mean, some people, I guess, really feel like they can't do it unless they're in character the whole time, but it's also like, okay, great. So what about everyone around you? What about making everyone else uncomfortable around you? I don't know. To each his own. I know. Well, to it's like, own. I mean, it's like Ella Peterson at the party thrown by Jeffrey's agent. Yeah. 
Yes. Okay. Where she is trying to get away with some things. She said, I've been doing this for a while. That's a professional I, segue. Very nice. I'll have you know. Got it. Got it. Uh, yes. Well, certainly everyone at that party is very fancy. And Ella's just trying to, you know, maybe because she's trying not to draw attention to herself, right? She's trying to just fit in. Um, she, she, you know, puts on this persona of, uh, of somebody who, you know, belongs in this name droppy, uh, you know, fancy group of celebrity people. And she's completely out of her league, but hilarious trying to do it. I, so let's, let's get out of the way first. Why, why I selected you specifically for Bells Are Ringing, because uh, we met when you were playing Judy Holiday in the bio play with music at 1590-59 a year ago. Was that only a a year year ago? ago? It was a year ago, spring of 2019. Yeah. Wow. So much has happened. Yeah. And Um, I feel like for anyone who doesn't know Judy Holiday, your favorite funny people do know Judy Holiday. Oh, that's good. Judy Holiday is the connective tissue for much of the latter half of the 20th century funny people that we love. It's Mm. Judy Holiday and Madeline Kahn in my head are the two. Oh, yes. (laughs) That is really good. That is really good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, She's an icon. And actually, her birthday just passed. She would have been 99. I know. I know, which is unbelievable. It feels like. She was around, you know, 99. It feels it feels like she was around in, you know, an other age and it's such a long time ago. And yet still, you know, there's still people alive that were part of her lifetime. And I don't know, the connective tissue, she's she's actually just not that far away. That's something that I discovered working on the play. And I think especially because she's known mostly for I mean, bells are ringing, of course, is iconic. But but uh, uh, her movies were black and white, you know, yeah. um, obviously born yesterday and it should happen to you. And um, so you just think of her as the star from this very, very far away era. And yet um, working on the show, it was incredible because it's such a New York story. She was such a hardcore New Yorker. It was really cool to realize there was a lot of connective thread for me to her. I live very near her first Greenwich Village apartment, which was her favorite when she was first married with David Oppenheim, um, whose son Tom is somebody that I have worked with. Amanda Green is a friend of mine, of course, the daughter of Adolf Green, who was one of her best friends. Um, you know, um, I've gotten to know the lovely Jamie, Bur- Jamie and Alex Bernstein. Like, it's just really funny how there are all these little threads uh, linking to her still. She's such a quintessential New York character. Well, and in so many ways, Bells Are Ringing is a quintessential New York story. Absolutely, right. And it's so, it's such a time capsule. This movie is such a time capsule in a way that, to a degree that a lot of movies of that same time are not. And it's not just the <laughs> the answering service with Suzanne's phone where people are taking <laughs> their message, your messages for you. And it's not that Dean Martin's phone is the brand new princess model. That's which right. Had That's just right. been introduced the year before. It's really funny that the number one spokesperson for like that super feminine princess phone was was Dean Martin. Like he was the person <laughs> to introduce that to the world. Hilarious. But there's just something. There's this, and look, this is what Vincent Minnelli did so brilliantly in Meet Me in St. Louis. Bells are ringing. Feels like a memory of something that you don't even remember. It feels like this thing that you have experienced and every, all the colors are brighter. All the edges are a little bit sharper. 
everyone's funnier than they probably would have been. Everything seems more dire, but also, you know, going into no matter what horrible situation that things are going to work out. And it was a flop. It lost (laughs) a ton of money at the box office. I know, I know. And and why do we think that is? I because you think, think the fans, at least the fans would have made a, a good showing in the movie theaters. She, I mean, she, that was a huge, huge hit for her. It's, it's that weird, uh, 1960, it's a weird year to be the last movie from the Freed unit at MGM. Like, wow, right. This is, I mean, when you think about 1960, that was the year of Psycho. That was the year of, <laughs> I think Doris Day made three comedies. And wow. I don't think people were that excited for something this, this sweet and subdued. It's the only subdued slapstick I have ever seen. <laughs> okay, subdued slapstick. So, yeah, I guess you're right. Because when we're thinking about her visiting Jeffrey Moss in the apartment and tumbling on top of him and crawling around her couch, there is sort of a easy, low stakes vibe about it. <laughs> In a way, right? Well, and I'm I'm thinking. I think the re- the first time that subdued slapstick popped into my head was when she's on the blind date with her real life lover oh, Jerry Mulligan. Of course, which we really just I, that just makes me so happy. To, and it turns out so he's obviously uh, a, a famous saxophone player, and she you know gave him this little cameo part of the movie. They decided to put him in it in this blind date scene, and he's actually really good and really funny, isn't he? And so sexy. I know. So I sexy. Know. And well, it wasn't an just because he said garrulous. <laughs> Although that did, that helped. I'm going to be honest. That did help. Uh, did I tell you the story when we spoke about Judy last no, year? tell me. I went to, I went to the Louis Armstrong house museum. Oh yes. And in, in like Corona Queens. And there was, a, it was just me and my boyfriend at the time. And spoiler alert, I'm a homosexual. And the guide is walking us through the house. We wouldn't be talking about Judy Holiday if you weren't. Um, (laughs) I thank God for that. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) The guide is walking us around the house and he points to some painting and he's like, oh, um, that is Jerry Mulligan. Do you know, are you familiar with Jerry Mulligan? And I said, oh, yes, he was Judy Holiday's lover. (laughs) Which (laughs) isn't... Not the answer this jazz historian is looking for. Oh, of course. Oh, boy. That, of course, that's what I would have said. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. He was like, wait a minute. You don't have his albums? from you know? Oh, God. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. But, yeah, he was he was a well-respected musician. And, and I don't know. I just love him in that, in that scene in Bells of Ringing. It just brings me a lot of joy. It's such a little moment. And I was I was watching it again. And I haven't seen the movie in a, in a couple of years. It's a really special. It's the last movie that I watched before I moved to New York when I was oh 17. Goodness. Oh, my goodness. So That's so special. It's like the, the last glimpse I had of a fictional New York before wow. I moved here. And That's so a nice horrifying one. reality. <laughs> Were you like, I have to get to that brownstone that exists on the block where no, where there's no other buildings? Obviously, I mean, that, all of it. I'm still looking for a terrace apartment with that mid-century modern furniture. I know, I know. Oh, what a what a what an ideal to be dreaming about and be heading into. I love that. Very uh, cool. Yes, it was. Unfortunately, I moved here September first, two thousand and one, 
So, oh, you're kidding. No. Oh, no. 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 Suzanne's <laughs> phone was not in operation or in any kind of glory then. Wow. No, wow. No. Um, but subdued slapstick in the scene with Jerry Mulligan, I was thinking what that was what that scene would look like today in a movie. Mm. And it would be so yeah. big and so loud and so telegraphed. And what is so really lovely about so much of this movie, and I think that this is a lot of Judy Holiday style and also Vincent Minnelli, I think at the peak of his powers with movie musicals, I think it's a shame that this one doesn't get more recognition. Mm. But what the two of them combined accomplished is it's a very tender introduction to Ella, this woman who only wants the best for everyone. And every horrible thing that happens on this date is because she's trying to light his cigarette. She's trying to share her drink with him. She's trying <laughs> to get the conversation going. And it's oh, just, she, I love that. she's her own worst enemy for this entire movie. What a great way to sum that up. I, I, that is perfect, right? It's her, it's her making the first move and trying to, trying to fix everything for the very beginning. And you just know it's, it's going to be doomed. <laughs> and then catching on fire. And then literally catching on fire, which is so fantastic. I just love the idea of that one of her just like walking away with the tail of her dress on fire and thinking like, I don't know whatever, what was that like on set? The people nearby the, you know, it just must've been such a hilarious, such an hilarious I mean, thing to watch. That's where, that's where I always, <laughs> that's where I always go off into some rabbit hole where I'm like, I want an entire short film from the point of view of the person who was sitting next to her when she realized that she was on fire. When he went home that night, how did he describe that scene to his family? Did he talk about it for the rest of his life? Exactly. And I want to also know what happened at the end of that. You know, she comes back and she was like, oh, he had to leave early. And uh, she's she still hasn't seen the back of her dress until she gets back to Suzanne's her phone and looks. So how did that end that he said, you know, I'm going to call it a night. You're on fire. And I just don't think we're, this is going to work. I don't know. It just seems like uh, there's a, a lot of questions left unanswered. Also, here's a question day. I have. Does yeah. she live at Suzanne's her phone? That's exactly what I was wondering. She must have a place upstairs because, yes, she has to. She has to live there because she she's always she sleeps there. there. She's got her. She does her little pink curls at night there. <laughs> <laughs> um, she has all her stuff there. So you know, it's her cousin who owns it. It's a brownstone. They must all live upstairs. That's what I determined. I decided she has to live there. Her cousin, played by Jean Stapleton. Stapleton, yes. Who, when you watch this, and then you think about her in All in the Family. In All in the Family, was she doing a Judy Holiday? Oh my impression? God, Mark, I can't even believe you're saying this because this has been, this has really been like a deep, dark question I have been asking myself <laughs> for years since I went down the Judy rabbit hole. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it possible that our beloved Gene Stapleton, our beloved Edith, did actually say, well, you know, she looked at that script and was like, it is Queens. I could kind of Judy Holiday this out. And <laughs> right. I, I, I can't believe you're saying that because I feel like it's blasphemous to say it. And I remember telling my husband, I don't know, but I have this feeling <laughs> that that's what it is and more power to her. But yes, yes, I agree. A hundred percent. Yes. Well, because she doesn't sound like Jean, St like the Jean Stapleton no. we know at all in this movie. Right. You know who does? Judy Holiday. 
Correct. Judy Holiday sounds more right. And it's for, you know, Judy Holiday is, is from Queens. She has that also that sing songy, you know, anytime Edith is singing, that was a big, that's very much what Judy Holiday sounded like when she was uh, not singing seriously, like on her album with Jerry Mulligan, but obviously when she's singing in the gin game and born yesterday, or she's gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. There's this quality that is, very Edith. So I, I can't believe you started to say it. I was like, no, he's not going to say it. Is he going to say it? Yes. It's I have the same feeling about that. It's impossible to not hear once you notice it. Correct. Correct. Uh, so there are a lot of things that we love about this movie. Judy Holiday is one of them. Um, the art direction is superb. Spectacular. The, I mean, the color combinations. It's just, it's like an interior designer designed the movie for a series of still photos. Yes, yes. It's truly. one of the truly gorgeous movies of the late MGM era. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say, oh, before we talk about the things that we don't love as much and bells are ringing, okay. and there are a few. Mm -hmm. Jerry Mulligan is so sexy. I yes. have always had such a crush on Frank Gorsham. He's so good in this, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I get my it. Friend, my friend says that it's my Neanderthal fetish where he's got a real low brow and a he pronounced does. jaw. But I'm sorry. But, he's funny and really skilled at being funny. And that's one of the sexiest things that you can come across, period. And him he's, in the sleeveless sweatshirt yes, doing Brando. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. And uh, so... Um, yeah, just so well thought out. It's like actually really meta. You know, he like really, really thought out what this character was going to do, how he's going to sound, where he's going to look to the left, to the right, in a Brando kind of way, right? So he's, <laughs> um, I, I really, he's he's such a joy in this movie. He just cracks me up. And he, yeah, and I think he looks sexy too. And he was one of Hollywood's most famous impressionists, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I kind of knew. And then after I watched the movie, I went down a Frank Gorshin rabbit hole and- it was like Frank Gorshin, one of Frank Gorshin's most famous impressions was Burt Lancaster. Oh and I thought, God. well, how the hell do you do a Burt Lancaster impression? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know how, but he does one. Wow. Oh, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole now, too. Oh, he does Burt Lancaster at a Sammy, at a Dean Martin roast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, uh, okay. Speaking of, speaking of Dean Martin, here's... Yeah. here's where we're going to gingerly tiptoe into um, is this movie musical madness or is this movie musical <laughs> magic? Right. And what's tipping bells are ringing into movie <laughs> musical madness. Really are a good. few things, uh, chief among them, Mr. Dean Martin. Yes. Yes. Who, when you think it was Sidney Chaplin on Broadway, right. Right. who is speaking of sexy gentlemen, which is, yes. That's going to be the spin-off podcast of this. Of right, this and they, they also had a they had an affair. Um, yeah, they had a thing, uh, Judy and Sydney, and so this would be yeah, this would be much later. So I can't help but watching this. You know, it's like when you study so hard to be in somebody's shoes. I I, I sit here and I go, what is she thinking? Like, I, I I picture her looking at him sometimes, going, what is he even doing? <laughs> I mean, but it's you so know? the 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 contrast between these two is so educational because she's doing nothing but everything mm -hmm. and he's right. doing nothing and nothing 
<laughs> but loudly, like that. Yeah, like <laughs> he's doing nothing but loudly. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, I guess it's the difference, and this happens in in you know Hollywood things. Is you know, you there are actors and there are personalities, right? And so Dean Martin was definitely a personality and he had his own charisma and his own thing, but he's not necessarily an actor. And so I think that's, that's the difference there. Well, and I think his persona works against the movie in some ways because Jeffrey Moss's entire character is he's a playwright who sleeps all day. Right. Dean Martin's entire persona is he's a drunk who sleeps it off all day. Right. So then you can't extricate those two. So it seems like Jeffrey Moss is just an old booze hound, which yes. is nothing, nothing against being an old booze hound. Believe me. <laughs> right. But when right. he's walking through traffic, when he's walking through traffic in Times Square with I Met a Girl, he just seems like he's a drunk staggering out of the bar after last call. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I guess so. It's just the tough thing about him is it's really hard to buy any vulnerability from him. You know, or why yeah. she would want to save that guy, except that, you know, it just speaks more to Ella and her heart, I guess. But um, it is. Yeah, it is tricky. Although one of my favorite moments is when she sneaks in on him sleeping and she's never seen him and she lifts up the blanket and sees what he looks like. And she just is full of joy. <laughs> <laughs> this man, this boy she's fallen in love with is this really attractive man. Um, yeah. So it's, well, it's, it's odd. It's odd. Also, I don't even, I don't even really want to get into it. And thank God they cut it mostly for the movie, but the whole bookie subplot. Oh my God. I mean, the first time I saw that, I was like, what is really happening? I think the whole idea was for them to have that wonderful um, Compton and Green number. Where the, that yes. number is, you know, the lyrics are so clever. It's so fun. Um, uh, where, right, they're saying, you know, if I ask for handle, it's Hialeah and all that kind of uh, word. <laughs> no, play. I just I think, got it out of my head. Don't put it back in. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. But I think that number, I think that number is terrific. And uh, that I think maybe even when they were creating the, I don't know, it's just like, how do we keep that numbers the showstopper? That's the sit down, you're rocking the boat number of this musical. But here's my question, is the, and I have no doubt the number was a showstopper on stage. Does the number work in film? Well, I don't know. It does this thing that is so interesting. You know, Vincent Minnelli does this twice that I've noticed in that movie, which is uh, they hit the button, their hand, they're sh shaking, the, you know, kind of jazz hands, right? And then the button ends, but they're still shaking their hands <laughs> as if. <laughs> it's a really odd thing as if. Yeah, I can't even. So it's that tricky movie thing where, like, we're not going to actually stop yeah. um, the number. We're going to look like it keeps going, but all of the music has stopped. So that's a weird <laughs> thing. And then also, I'm kind of obsessed with her exit, Ella's exit out of Bonjour Tristesse, where she, yes, <laughs> like, yes. she hits the final <laughs> note. She's like, and she's walking out the door with determination and she, you know, looks back and then goes to step out the door. And instead of just leaving on the button and going out of frame on the button, the button happens. And then she creeps to very awkward, creepy steps after the button. And then the number's over <laughs> in total silence. I don't, I really would love to ask Vincent Minnelli, like, well, what was really the intention? Like what, why? 
it's what? so it's like and I've talked about this on other episodes, but it's like that thing in the 70s and 80s where numbers would just take place in black voids. Where it's like uh, um, Dinah Ross singing home at the end of the whiz. Oh, yes. Where she's just <laughs> standing there and you see photo like still photos whirling by. Yes. yes. Or it's the um, or Mame when Lucille Ball is basically in a black void driving the car singing in her head. Right. Singing. I'm using air right. quotes on singing. Right, right. Uh, or even in anti-mame when every scene oh, ends. Oh, with yeah, a but spotlight. I love that. I do too. Oh, I come do on. Too. That's heaven. You can't knock anti-mame. That's a perfect film. In That's, my it is a perfect film. That's how I like to leave every room. Yes. I have, a, I have a follow spot come with me everywhere I go. And every time I say goodbye, I hold it. Someone dims yes. the lights, spot hits me, pink gel, and I leave. Exactly. Well, in fact, that was what we were actually the last moments of Smart Blonde. I remember when we were originally doing Out of Town, that was like the lighting designers. Like that was the whole idea was to can we just like anti-mame out <laughs> in the last <laughs> in the last scene? Um, yeah. So I would you think that? Yeah, this is this is trying to be like a this is a traditional old school Broadway musical delivered in this in the last of the sort of, you know, MGM kind of glory at a time where people were now shifting into something very edgy and, and experimental. And so, you know, th I think that's part of the timing of it is tough too, because the, right. The timing of it. And also it is in many ways, I think of bells are ringing as the quintessential golden age musical. Hmm in the most negative connotations of that phrase. Okay, say more it's, about that. It's a show built around a star performer. Yes. It's a show that is more interested in having fun than in forwarding the plot. So yes. the original stage musical is very, um, oh, I have such a good word. Uh, it's vignettes, basically. Interesting, because when you think about the team, and the yes. team writing for Judy, that's how they all started out, is writing these little vignettes in for the reviewers at well, the and, Village Vanguard. You know, you know Judy much better than I do, but I, f I think I read somewhere that they wrote this for her because one of her party things was she would get up and sing, like, ragtime. Uh, yes, I don't. I actually don't know so much about the ragtime. That's interesting to me. But they definitely wrote it for her. She was uh, coming out of a divorce and, you know, just in a rough space in her life. And they were very, you know, uh, Adolph Green was like her best friend, you know. Yeah. So she was very, very close to them and, and they wrote it for her. And, and she was also, even though she had this tremendous set of pipes, she was always very self-conscious about her singing. And so, I, right. I always think of her and Carol Burnett mm. similarly in that yeah. where they both are legit singers, but they both do some do a twist at the end to make it into a joke. Right, because they just don't want to be taken serious. They don't want anyone to think they're want to be taken yeah. seriously as singers. But uh but she's a great instrument and if you listen to some of those recordings on the original Bells are Ringing album, um she's just I I mean she's fantastic. Um but yeah, so I think um it is interesting the way they uh and you know they they Betty Comden, Adolph Green, and and um, and Judy all met, 
you know, we're doing things as kids, these little sketches downtown, also with Leonard Bernstein. And I love that he's also mentioned in the movie. That's such a tip of the hat to him. And I was like, oh, of course he is. Like, these are just a bunch of pals making a movie and putting all their inside jokes in it, which I just love. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, and that number, I mean, drop that name, really has been in my head all week long. It's so catchy. Oh, yeah. It's also... It's also wild to me how many of those names are still part of the cultural conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not all yes. of them, obviously. When's the last time somebody read an Irwin Shaw novel? Right. <laughs> Never. I don't know that they read them then, honestly. But it's such a it's a perfectly constructed patter song, and yes. her delivery of various pronunciations of Ren Tin Tin. Yes. That and. And I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the revival, the short-lived 2001 revival with Faith Prince. Another right, which I never comedian. got to see. Unfortunately, I love Faith, but I never saw that. Mm-hmm. But she is the her cabaret album at Joe's Pub is the reason I discovered Judy Holiday and Bells Are Ringing because she sang "Is It a Crime," which was cut, which was filmed but cut from the movie. Correct. Correct. Uh, where she sings it in like the abandoned lot next to the Suzanne Serphone. And then has a big exit through a gate. It's a very strange number. Yes, yes. But on here's why Bells Are Ringing is such a museum piece in my head. A perfectly preserved museum piece. I never want to see it with anyone but a full production with anyone but Judy Holiday. Faith Prince, one of the funniest singing performers I can think of. Genius comedy. Her delivery of... Uh... uh I got them at Klein's. I do all my shopping there with Mary and Ethel. Right. Mary Schwartz and Ethel Hotchkiss. Right. Judy's delivery of that is so perfect that you have think, to go in the opposite direction. And so Faith went big on it. And it just, it still works, but not, not as memorably. No. And the thing about Judy, I mean, her humor was so quintessentially, um, you know, Jewish girl from Queens, not unlike Barbara Streisand's, you know, funny girl, uh, you know, that which nobody would, attached to Judy because she was known as being this blonde and this, you know, this cute, silly blonde, but that was very much her humor and her roots. Um, I would think, yeah, it's like, if I had to say the package that was so special about Judy is she was this cute blonde who was a vaudevillian and a, she was a vaudevillian and a Jewish cantor and a, you know, and an old school Jewish comic all in this, like, you know, very cute little blonde package. And, 
And I think that's what made her so, that's what made her unique. And, and I agree. I, listen, when you write a musical for someone, it's going to be very hard for anybody to step into those shoes because it was built around all of the particular strengths and humor of that person. And, yeah. and, and you're right. Anybody else who would be coming in would have to say, okay, great. Now, how do I interpret those lines to find my own funny there? Because, you know, the things were so, and I, it's not only written for Judy Holiday, written by her best friends, <laughs> like the people who really know her at three in the morning after a few glasses of wine. That's who wrote it for her. It's ideal, right? But that's why it's really tough to recreate. Uh, we were talking about the end of I'm Going Back, where she kind of <laughs> creeps, creeps three steps out and then gets shoved back in. So if there is a flaw, if there is a flaw that prevents me from making people sit down and watch this movie over something like Meet Me in St. Louis or even Lay Girls, which I just watched for the first time over the weekend. And love. Oh, my God. Okay. We'll talk about it later. Okay. But there were so many moments in the movie with, where Vincent Minnelli seemed to throw his hands up in the air and go, you know what? I'm just going to leave the camera here. And Judy is just going to walk back and forth. She's going to do a cakewalk. She's going to grapevine. Yeah. yeah. And she's going to sing it as if she's center stage. Yeah. I, I mean, that was a one, you know, my son is actually like a, a film student and filmmaker. And he was like watching it with me recently. And he said, you know, my God, this is just like, this is one take. This is a wide shot. This is just... That's all it is. Bonjour, Tristesse, you know? Yeah. And I wonder, no, it's tricky, right? Because she came from, you know, she comes from the theater, but she certainly was very well-versed in movies. And yet, I wonder how I would feel like my big 11 o'clock number and then filming it in Hollywood and then knowing how audiences clamored for it done a particular way, right? Um I, I mean, that's the moment where you just feel like, she, you know, the movie's over and she's like, I'm just going to do what I did in New York for this one. Yeah, that's, that it feels very much like that. And it also, I just, part of me is thrilled that it was preserved in that way because that is as close as we are going to get to seeing Judy Holiday on stage. Right, and yet, because of the medium, it just doesn't translate. It's not as electrifying as you want it to be even though you see her doing these things that you know would make a crowd go wild it yeah. just doesn't necessarily translate all the time i mean i feel like bonjour tristesse still works because she's such a star and she's so but something like like just in time is the one that i struggle with uh when they're dancing in the park and she's got all her little side doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo, you know all that yeah. stuff and i go huh, I bet people ate this up when it was in front of a live audience, but I'm watching it and it feels so, I don't know, it feels flat to me, which makes me sad because I want everybody to adore everything she does. <clears throat> I, I mean, same. And I actually, I don't mind the Just In Time. Uh, one, I, I've listened to the soundtrack much more than I have the original cast recording or have seen the movie, actually. And I did not know until the rewatch that she's doing when she's, it's all right, it's all right. She's doing an it's impression right. of uh, Senor Winces, the ventriloquist. Right, right. Who That's right. Became, I just read that too. Who became famous for not having a dummy. 
and just <laughs> pretending that his dummy is a disembodied head in a box. Oh my God. Different times. Different times. <laughs> there were not as many channels, friends. There were not as many. There, there were not as many places to stream content. So but that's one of the reasons why I have always loved old movies or old shows because the things that you can learn from from that moment, like she's doing an impression that of something that everyone would have immediately recognized. Right, except us, right? Except, but yes. And now no <laughs> one will ever know that, but enough people do that they've written about it that you can then go down this whole rabbit hole of Senior Wences and his head in a box dummy. Oh my God. Right. The other thing was Judy throughout her life was always something that was in Hollywood uh, held against her was her, you know, size. She wasn't skinny enough, right? She wasn't, she's a beautiful woman, but not skinny enough. You know, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole scene in Smart Blonde about Harry Cohn, you know, it's, it's a direct quote about, you know, she was pitched for Adam's rib or, and, and uh, no, not Adam's rib for, yeah. No, they wrote a part for her into Adam's rib. I'm trying to think there was, oh no, born it was for Born Yesterday. She had done, she had won all the awards. She was the toast of the town. They were going to make the movie. And when they did, George Cukor said, you know, I'd love to bring Judy Holiday back. And Harry Kuhn said, what? Oh, you mean that fat Jewish broad? No way. Right. Not sexy enough. That's always been a was always a thing that she was up against, although she was teeny and gorgeous and in that movie. But I I also know from reading up that as far as like costumes, you know, she wasn't really obviously she was a super, super smart, you know, serious intellectual, but yeah. not a um, a girly girl. And that she would go into these costume fittings. Um, and I think it was with. Jean-Louis, um, one of, I have to check my yeah. now. Uh, Hollywood costume designer, um, that she went in and um, she, they, they didn't, this costume, let's, this particular costume designer did not like her because she would come in and instead of saying, oh, I love this, but maybe, you know, uh, you know, nip it here, or I don't like that, you know, green works much better on me. She would come in and just say, okay, fine, <laughs> fine, <laughs> whatever, it's fine. So, you know, th they said that she was not a fun collaborator as far as costume design, because she was like, put me in whatever. And I feel, what, did you find it? No, uh, no, no. I just, okay. I'm so glad that you brought this up because this was going to be the last conversation I wanted to have in this movie. Because I know that she she had a very difficult relationship with her weight because of all the voices in her head. And I wanted to ask you as someone who did all the research, it feels almost like they shot this in chronological order. And as she slimmed down, the costumes got more fitted. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Right. Because there is that big difference. You feel like when she changes that Traviata gown where she conveniently <laughs> grabs a, I don't even know. It's not even a scissor and cuts herself. A knife. Her she grabs a knife out of a pineapple, a knife out of the pineapple. Correct. And suddenly her over the top Traviata ball gown turns into sign of a 1970s, uh, you know, I don't know, disco at the disaster movie, uh, <laughs> um, fitted gown, but she, 
and she does look very slim there, but I don't know if also that's like what was more flattering to her. Well, I just feel, yeah, go ahead. And the, the only reason I bring it up is because until that moment, she's wearing big like Dior yep. new look skirts and yes. no one around her is. Right. And then after she grabs that knife and slashes her dress and gets rid of that taffeta, for the rest of the movie, she's in very slim clothes, slim dresses. I guess that's true. Although we do see her at the dentist in that little brown suit where also it's like kind of very slim true, earlier true. in the movie. But um, The dentist where there was an open flame to sterilize the instruments. <laughs> And by the way, do all of us have one of those singing dentists in our lives? I mean, that is just that 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 guy's right out of central casting. Just like a guy who always wanted to be in show business, you know, who is stuck at in a mundane job. I don't know. I just love that guy. He's so, so good. Um, so yeah, I I you're right. I think she probably was. I don't, I don't know her like weight loss story through bells are ringing per se, but that makes sense about what you're saying. And certainly, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a constant thing in her life, but I felt, I also have a problem with like the costumes. I'm just like, what's going on? Like, and who's protecting her again? I get very protective when I see her because having, you know, worked so closely, uh, you know, and knowing so much about her life, I, I just feel like there's a few times where her perfectly coiffed hair gets really must in the movie. And it just doesn't seem right to have left it like that. I'm like, who was looking out for her? Like, who was her, who was her glam police? Like, who was her glam squad? Or did she have one? Or did she say, don't even bother with that? I'm working. But I really don't like how... She, yeah, I just feel like somebody, there wasn't somebody taking care of her in that department. So, I and I agree, I agree about the costumes. And that's why it struck me so forcefully that I brought it up in terms of all of a sudden near the end, her, her costumes get much more attractive. Mm. Because at the beginning, it's very, she just seems, and this could have been intentional, she seems very out of place and yes. of a different time because she's wearing costumes that what from Sabrina, like she's wearing the Dior stuff that. Yes. And these like organza dresses. Correct. <laughs> it just feels, it feels bizarre. And why are you wearing that to work? When also, well, I mean, basically she's all of us right now. She lives and works in the same room. <laughs> exactly. She says she works at zoom. And, uh, <laughs> except with no, except her cameras off the whole time. And, um, yeah, it is a bizarre I, I do. You, you're absolutely right. Like you can't not notice that her costumes are different than everyone else's and not necessarily for the better because they don't seem to match at all what's going on. No, because this is, I mean, this is a <laughs> movie and this is something where every, every prop, every costume piece, every accessory is so carefully curated in terms of color composition. And then she comes in with these huge full skirts and you're like, whoa, what, what is this trying to say? Or was it just like the button, the button happens and we're all still standing around waving our hands until yeah, the exactly. camera fades to black. I don't know. And she was also very, she was very slim hipped, but she was broad shouldered. And so you see all those 
uh, the full skirts and then with like so much going on top to quote unquote hide her shoulders. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I just get so, oh, I just, it upsets me actually. I'm just like, where was the person who knew exactly what looked incredible on her and was going to make her look wonderful? Or my question is, and, and I could actually talk to Willie Holtzman about this, the biographer who, um, actually, uh, turned and turned dramatist who turned a smart blonde into a play. I mean, her story into a play, like what, or was it that she, this is the stuff, this is the kind of things she was in, in the Broadway production and just loved it. And was like, I, I need to be, I need to look as great as I did in New York. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's interesting that relationship that people have with, with their appearance when they're working. I mean, Dietrich was famous for making them reshoot something because a cuff was uneven. And the, I think the That's assistant so costume designer was like, I cannot believe that you just stopped the entire shoot so that we could adjust your cuff. And Dietrich said, I didn't do it for myself. I'm not going to do the Dietrich impression. Yeah, okay. Oh, they didn't love again. <laughs> <laughs> and Dietrich was like, I didn't do it for myself. I did it because in 30 years, my daughter is going to be watching this movie and she's going to see that uneven cuff. And she's going to think, that's when mother started to slip. God, that's so good. Which, having read her daughter's memoir, yes, that is exactly who her daughter turned out to be. <laughs> well, wow, so good. All right. Here is here is my final question, which is uh, yeah. how we end how we end every episode, and we already know the answer to this. But do you think that Bells Are Ringing works on its own as a movie, as a movie musical, without any knowledge of the Broadway version? I think it worked. I think you, you know, I think you can go and you can have a lovely time, but I don't know that it is something you would watch maybe as a theater student say, I want to do that musical at my school. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I think it just, um, I think it's fun and it's light and you love her and the idea yeah, and the idea is strong enough. This is answer phone. The idea of this answering service is is just fun. But I I don't necessarily, and maybe it's why even as a kid I never felt, you know, I I have almost like an encyclopedic uh, knowledge of musicals because I was drawn to so many and couldn't wait to get in, you know, in and involved with every single one. And and this one was just sort of in the background on my radar and not, you know, it wasn't until I actually started ju studying Judy Holiday that. I got to know it. It was just not one that piqued my interest enough to. Yeah. Um, but then once you, you, once you get in, there's clearly there's great songs. There's fantastic lyrics. There's um, you know, there's a lot of wit in it, but I just don't know that the movie, I don't know about the chemistry. I don't think you really feel any chemistry between the two of them. So that's pretty huge. No, she seems like his paid companion to like get him through his bender. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And he just doesn't like, especially when you think about who Judy holiday is and if she were to come to you in the form of Melisande Scott, you have to see that in the eyes of the man who sees that. Right. I mean, yeah. come on. And he's just, he's out there on his own. He's, he's just do it. He's just doing his own. <laughs> Which <laughs> you know? we didn't even talk about during just do it. Uh, which I actually really like that song on the album. Yeah. 
He's singing into the mirror, and there is a perfect white dot yes. in the center of that mirror. He Listen. sings the entire song to that dot, and then at the end, wipes it off. What was that dot? I don't know what that dot. I do not know what that dot was, and I'm so glad you brought it up. And uh, maybe Liza would say that's when my father was beginning to slip. But, um, <laughs> I, but, but he does. He does hit that dot. I don't know what that is. It is bizarre. There's a lot of weird little unexplained things in there in that movie too. But yeah. really, if you get to the bottom of it, that it's a love story about this fantastically creative girl, you know, this whimsical, fantastical, this shy girl with a fantastical imagination and the man who sees her and loves her, that doesn't come through in the movie. I think it has a lot to do with, with him and the chemistry between them. I agree. I think... But on the flip side, I think that the the trade-off for the lack of that chemistry is that it becomes a movie about a girl that the entire city falls in love with. Yes. And it's less a romance between these two characters, and it's more of a new, uh, romance with New York and with being open and vulnerable and uh, big-hearted. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, you can't really... You can't really get away from that when you're when you're when you got Judy on the screen, yeah. open and vulnerable and big hearted. I mean, if nothing even, else, even in her, even at her silliest, it's just all over her. If nothing else, this is a really great introduction to Judy Holiday. Yes. And and I would encourage everyone to keep going because there's so many great movies and and resources and clips on YouTube uh, about her. And she was an astonishing talent. And uh, I feel like we all should just know more about her, especially those of us in the theater. I mean, she was like I said, she's this great combination of um, joy and open heartedness, but like old school kind of skill, old school kind of vaudevillian showmanship and comedy that. Uh, is rare, is rare. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. We have decided that this is movie musical magic with a giant asterisk at the end of magic. <laughs> I guess I would agree with that. I would yeah. agree with that. It's mostly, we love it, but then you know, I like so many things in life. The more you think about it, the more you're like, oh, but wait, that horrible thing too. Right. Huh. But Judy Holiday trumps all of that. Exactly. And, you know, if my son is like walking, you know, my 16 year old is, you know, walking past when Bonjour Tristesse comes on, I say, stop what you're doing. Come sit down next to mommy. You have to watch this. And, and then he's glad he did. Yeah, it's it's a great number. It's um, yeah. the a lot of the score was what I used to do with the piano player at Marie's Crisis. Uh, we would do we would do just in time and I would do all of the Judy Oh, uh, nice. The bits in between. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then uh, we would do uh, Bonjour Tristesse. And every time she would get to a little maudlin on the side, he would very quickly launch into the opening notes of The Man That Got Away. Oh, wow. Maudlin. Oh, God. Now, that's, that's very clever really, wordplay. Very clever wordplay. I like that. Yeah, so <laughs> this, this, this movie and the soundtrack and... Because it's a movie, so it's a soundtrack. Right. Uh, has really personal connotations for me and my life that I don't think I fully registered until I sat down to rewatch it to talk with you. And I'm so delighted mm. that you were available and able to talk about this with me because I think you're the only person I would care to. 
Oh, well, thank you so much. And I agree wholeheartedly as, as we determined yeah, in last year's interview, I think we need to spend a whole lot more time together doing deep dives on, on this kind of material. <laughs> uh, we really do. Um, thank you, Andrea Burns, for joining me. Thank you, Judy Holiday, for making an appearance. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, all you wonderful people out there listening in the dark. That's Norma Desmond. She's not a movie musical. She's just a movie. Uh, I'm Mark Pikert. Please stay tuned for another episode of Movie Musical Madness. This episode of Movie Musical Madness was edited by Kyle Moore with theme music by Sunshine Music. And thank you for listening to Movie Musical Madness, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about the podcast and me at bpn.fm slash moviemusicalmadness. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.